Hi everyone, my name is Chad Kelly and I will be your host during our conversation today. I will be speaking with Patrick Brady about financial headlines in the news. As an investor on a daily basis, you could literally come across hundreds of articles or opinions on ways to approach investing and saving for retirement. Hopefully we will be able to shed some light on this issue. Thanks for listening. Patrick, thanks for joining me again for our financial discussion. You bet. We, uh, we've got an exciting one. This is a topic that gives us a lot of heartburn at some points as, it, as advisors, um, but it's also something, a tool that we use uh, to frame conversations and discussions with clients. Uh, today we're going to talk about deciphering headline news. Mm, so, this is a good one. You know, when you think of headline news, kind of the classic you know, the classic is you know, CNBC or CNN, right? A, I call that financial pornography. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's right. It's very addictive. <laughs> it's exciting stuff. It's exciting stuff, that's right. <laughs> you know, and I said, at some points this gives us heartburn um, because it's exciting, right? It, and it's not always accurate. It, a lot of times its main purpose is to generate emotion. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, it's not necessarily... It's a false sense of reality. Yeah, yeah. Of what's going on, and, and and I honestly can use that word financial pornography because we know pornography is difficult in life because it sense creates this false sense of addiction and false sense of reality of what real life is like. And financial does the same thing, and then they get paid a lot of money for it to make sure that we tune in to that station or that uh, that blog that is creating hype that's not necessarily true. Yeah, you just know, fear. I think it goes back to the concept that a journalist or someone who's writing a uh, financial column isn't going to get very many reads if, you know, they say a conservative to outlook. To tell the truth. Yeah, a conservative <laughs> outlook for the next five years, right? Yeah, that's right. But if they if they give a, a bold title, um, it's going to draw viewership. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, so I, I went back and looked at some of the biggest headlines we saw in 2018. Um, so I'll read through a couple of them. Uh, many remember, uh, and th- th- this is a big one, Bitcoin crashes down. Uh, the next one is bull market rages on after briefly entering correction territory. Trade war is on. Uh, U.S. employment hits 49-year low. Uh, housing market beginning to slow. How will Brexit affect your portfolio? Uh, should we expect slower growth in 2019? Oil prices continue to drop. So, you know, you, you hear these titles or these oh, yeah. headlines. And <clears throat> and then you add some that say, uh, it will say, uh, is your 401k safe? Yeah, yeah. What are you doing to protect uh, your Market 401k? crashes today. Is your 401k safe? And all of a sudden you panic and you start thinking that the guys on KSL that try to promote expensive annuities... Um, and promise you that you'll never lose money. Oh, maybe I better listen to those guys. And you start to think odd thoughts in relationship to how do you decipher the risk of this headline that just really wasn't completely true. It was, just, it was a segment of time that you should be concerned over, it, but we translate it out into this big, long-term uh, truism yeah. that is totally false. And, yeah. and we can prove it academically, but we just think that the moment is actually true for the entire future of our life. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, what, what do you think? Do, should we just throw out all headline news, you know, just disregard anything we, we hear? Uh, no, I think, yeah, actually, I think, I think headlines 
headlines have value because they they actually do provide us some sense that something is happening in the market. We need to be aware of it. I mean, there's a lot of studies that go out and show that investors who um, look at their portfolios too often are actually taking less risk than they should. So Fidelity has a great one that has gone back and shown that it, that clients that click in to their Fidelity account and view their statement on a monthly basis have a 40 have a 59% bond holding and a 41% average stock holding versus those that click in yearly have a average portfolio of 30% versus 70%. And, and their data is very 30% accurate. 30% bond. 30% bonds. Versus the 59% bond. Versus the 59 So there's an 11%, 11% swing of risk. And, and it's not that a 60-40 portfolio isn't the right portfolio. The point is, is that Fidelity is saying, look, the more often we are taking this headline risk and then going out and comparing our portfolio against the risk or how we're feeling, the less risk we're going to take and thus the less rate of return we're going to receive in the end. Because there are plenty of studies to show that a longer stock holding or a bigger stock holding for people will give us a slightly higher rate of return if it's done properly for a minimal amount of risk. The risk really comes from reading a head- headline too much, reading too much into the headline what you're reading. Yeah, I think, I think that's a terrific example. So someone who says, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do... F- the end of the day, I do find this interesting. I want to. I want to know. I want to know. I want to be educated. Yeah. You know, reading KSL.com or, you know, the Deseret News, is that, and that's your only source, you know, pro- probably not the best way to go, right? Having just one source, it, it probably makes sense probably. to look at a broad spectrum of insights, right? Yeah, you've got to, I think, first of all, you have to find credible sources that give you information that's more than the moment of selling a newspaper or selling a, a, a page on the internet. And it's not that, KS, I know we're not saying that KSL and, and Desert News or Chalik Tribune aren't credible sources, they are. But um, if, you, if you wouldn't mind, I, I think I'd go to even a broader run. I think Drudge Report, um, for people that are a little bit more conservative, particularly in this state, Drudge Report has a tendency to create some really massive headlines. They go out, they dig for the most shocking words possible. And when the market's having a bad day, Drudge Report will put that number, flash it bright red on their screen, and then look like, it looks like things are really going down to heck in a handbasket fast. And what we don't realize is that if we react to that behavior without thinking clearly, then sure enough, within a few days, the market's going to go up and you missed it if you panicked and sold. But I have found something really interesting. I think that the 2008 experience, those that lived through it, so if you're an older investor or an older physician with us, you have been much more, you've, you've received a lot of attention from us relative to where you stand today relative to the risk of your model. If we didn't, if we didn't learn from a crisis as financial advisors, then we're, we we shouldn't be in the business. But we learned a lot, just like physicians would learn from a medical crisis of how to prepare for it the next time and do something different. We learned that we need to educate our clients all the time, that they are always in a good position relative to 
their age, how much money they're putting in, how much they need to come out. And when they see a headline, that they shouldn't overreact to it. I've really been surprised at the lack of response from headlines in December this year when the market was doing terrible um, and having some really bad days. The lack of phone calls I actually received yeah. out of the millions of dollars that I'm responsible for. And I think that's part of the value of, of an advisor. As an advisor. If, if, it, yeah. if your advisor isn't helping you position yourself so that you Both can, emotionally and quantitatively. Yeah, yeah. You know, to what you're doing, and and that's that is a true value of, of an advisor. And Vanguard advisor isn't going to do that for you over the phone when you're calling to make a trade. That's not their job. Yeah. So you need someone that you can trust over a series of years that is giving you counsel and helps you framework your concerns relative to the reality of where you really stand. And our data today, when we go in and do these Monte Carlo analysis, we can actually go in and run these things called "What Are You Afraid Of." And with my, my clients, I always run this, like, what, what if the market dropped 18% today? Yeah. wonder if we went into a bear market beyond 20% in your portfolio. Are you still going to make it, and what do we need to adjust? So we test that every single time we meet almost. I test that for them. So when they know it happens, they're not going to say, oh, I am in trouble. We can say, I don't like this, but I'm okay. Yeah, and when, when they see the headline, yeah, they their first reaction isn't to pick up the phone and call Patrick. Yeah, right? exactly. Say, like, Patrick, what is going on? Because, yeah. you know, we had this conversation five but months I, ago. I do find I, what I'd worry about are the younger physicians that are using, you know, robo-advisors. Yeah. Or they're doing it on their own. And doing it on their own is fine. I mean, it, it really, the mathematics is easy of our job, actually. You yeah. can create a portfolio in your 30s that is modeled after some academic standards, and, and you are going to do great until a headline risk comes, and you have a bet. You're not. You're having a bad day somewhere else in your life. Has nothing to do with the markets, and all of a sudden a market headline comes across, and now you've just exaggerated the anxiety that you're feeling, yeah. and you go do something rash on your robo advisor system, and you're gonna. You're not gonna benefit from that experience. You're gonna be hurt by it. Whereas yeah. a human being can actually help you behave in a more responsible manner to your future, even though you paid them a little bit more for it. And I'm not, not trying to push our fees or that you pay an advisor, but it's true. And yeah. Vanguard has plenty of studies out there to show that that we provide that value. Anyway, I hope that's on topic of saying, yeah, these headline risks, we decipher them um, generally quite poorly if we don't have someone, if we don't have a financial therapist yeah, to get us, get us through it. You know, we've seen a number of examples of our clients who um, they, they, they see headlines that scare them and their reaction is, I'm going to go all to cash. You know, I'm going to write this one out. Yeah. And when the market dips, I'll get back in at the bottom yeah. and, you know, minimize my downside and catch all the upswing. For those that are listening, Chad and I, as we worked, we worked together for a number of years before he became a financial advisor on his own with us. Yeah. And uh, Chad was my main man and oversaw um, all the allocation of portfolios and would take the phone calls. And Chad will clearly remember uh, some certain clients that really overreacted to Trump being elected. And they, they took months to get in because yes. they were so mad that Trump was elected. They didn't believe what the market was, how it was responding, and they thought it was just fake somehow. 
And I am, this is not a political statement relative to Trump by any means. The point is the market did some things that we didn't expect. Yeah. But none of us were panicking two weeks after and saying, well, we better get out because this is fake. Or we didn't panic the night, night of when we saw the market dropping in the middle of the night as Trump was winning. Yeah. Because it, by the end of the afternoon, it had skyrocketed. Exactly. Totally opposite than what we expected. It was fascinating to watch. And, and that's the beauty But we of, did watch stupid behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take and, place. And that's the beauty of having a, the correct allocation is you don't have to you know, see headlines or see moments like this and say, like, I've got to hurry and do something. Like, yeah. It, you know, you can sit back and relax and look at big picture. Now, if you want to look to, you know, a little bit going down the road. So there's, there's one thing we kind of know. There's some headlines out there clearly that are giving us good information to say, what does 2019 look like and what does 2020 look like? And yeah. how long can an economic cycle stay in an expansion mode? And now we're hitting month 116, I believe, of economic expansion. So top is 120. We're either 115 or 116. So the longest economic expansion is 120 months since 1900. So we're getting to the tail end of yeah. what would be considered an expansion. And you can start to see that in the late cycle curve. Yeah, yeah. If you want to get into the technicalities that we are starting to enter a late cycle. And so one of the things that that I think is positive about market volatility that happened in December and some of the headline risks that came out is that people that have been sitting here hoarding cash, they were actually getting ready to buy. And and so they've been able to take advantage of some of the headline risk in a positive way. Yeah. And they were seeing that Amazon is 25% less expensive than it was at all-time high. That's a remarkable value relative to the expectation of where Amazon still has to go over a yeah. long period of time of years and years ahead. Yeah. And um, there are people that can take advantage of, of headline risk and get prepared for it, but they're very few. Most have to stay very asset allocation focused and not panic. They As much as in the market is all they can afford. They're already paying off a lot of student debt or they're paying for a very large mortgage um, or kids in college. And so if their 401k of $800,000 is sitting in a 70-30. That's probably right where they should be yeah. if they're around 45 to, f- to 51 years old. Yeah, you know, and I think to your point, uh, the, the fidelity statistics you shared earlier, you know, the sign of a good investor isn't just necessarily someone who's stock heavy, right? Yeah. It's someone who's willing to stick to a game plan. That is exactly true. And stick to an allocation. So, yeah, it's... You know, a lot of people think like, oh, I'm a good investor. I'll just go all stock and not look at my accounts. You're exactly right. And that's not yeah, the sign not of it. a good investor. Uh-uh. It's someone who, who's able to, you know, correctly identify what their goals and objectives are and build that game plan. And, and, st- and timeline it yeah. against, is on my all stock portfolio too risky relative to my stage of life? Yes. Yes. Chad and I can use software, for instance, that we can actually build out probability testing over... Th- thousands and thousands of runs back tested 47 years and then we can go in and we can tweak we tweak those portfolios and we say okay what happens if it's a 90 10 or an 80 20 or a 70 30 and we actually see the probability of success rise as we get more conservative but there is a point where it breaks and it goes too conservative actually the portfolio performance starts to go down yeah and so you're right 100 just 100 percent stock portfolio i'm invested in the s p 500 i'm good i'm cheap 
those aren't always the answers yeah. relative to managing the risk in your life. So. Yeah. A common question or comment we always get is, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel nervous about the market or headline news until I retired, mm. until income, so true. income stopped flowing in. The second I stopped seeing a paycheck deposit in my checking account, that's where I became a nervous Nelly. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's a number of ways that we handle this conversation as advisors, and it's case-by-case case specific, but you know, an example of one approach that we'll take with someone who expresses this concern is uh, a bucket approach to their portfolio. Yeah. What is this? What, how does a buck, typical bucket approach work? So a bucket, a, a, the bucket approach started to become really popular by uh, a writer from Newsweek named Jane Bryant Quinn, and and Jane Bryant Quinn wrote for Newsweek for years and years and years, and she she really started to put into framework on some articles on AARP um, this thought process that we need to segment segment out our um, money into to buckets of or pooled accounts that are going to be used over a period of time. So if you can imagine three buckets in a row, and the first bucket represents a time frame of, I'm just going to use a hypothetical example, and each, each bucket is individualized to the investor. But let's say the first bucket is a one to five year bucket, yeah. and you put a label on it. Second bucket says five to 10 year, and then the third bucket says 10 plus. Yeah. So what you do is we can, we can mathematically understand the amount of money that a client is going to need for those first five years. And we can know where that money is going to come from. So that money is going to come from, if they're retired, it's going to come from Social Security payments. If they're married, it's going to be, the. if they were both working, they both receive Social Security payments. If only one of the spouses was working, then the main spouse working receives the, the higher amount. The second spouse receives half of the um, the main working spouse's income from Social Security. And then you might get benefits from, uh, if you're working for Intermountain Healthcare, you might have a pension option or just a few different sources. So you count that in and then you start looking at the amount of money that is necessary to spend to keep life stable in a lifestyle that you're comfortable with. And you, that might take, uh, let's say it's, I'm gonna oversimplify this. Let's say it's $100,000 a year. So your first bucket might have a half million dollars in it. Yeah. Of the half million dollars in that bucket number one, it's about 20% in stocks and 80% in bonds and cash. And that is a very secure cash flow for five years so that if the market starts to go haywire, we don't get interrupted in our ability to create cash flow. Plus, the the physician and their family, they can start to minimize their expenses relative to their behavior patterns if they think that they're overspending. So bucket number one represents those first five years, and we make those really secure assets for an investor. So they don't have to lay in bed at night and worry that what's going to happen tomorrow if I wake up and the market's a thousand points down, am I still going to be able to live? So we take that risk off the table. And then you create this five to 10 year bucket. And the five to 10 year bucket is um, much more modest in its expectation that we are planning for the five years after that first five. And you go say to approximately a 50 stock, 50 bond portfolio in that sure, sure, yeah. And so it's not the highest growth pattern, but it definitely is keeping above inflation and it's, and it's making sure that you're getting a good balance of risk. But then that 10 year bucket where the majority of your money really is held to yeah. last for you know, 15 to 20 years, there, there's where we can take normal risk, almost as if you're a 40-year-old 
investing in the market. And for a lot of clients, this is money that they know they're never going to spend. They're never going to spend. It's going to go with right. their kids. We put it, if, if, if you have Roth IRAs, we stick that in that bucket and make them as aggressive as possible so that those kids can most likely inherit that Roth because yeah. uh, it comes, goes to them tax-free. There's no RMD distribution laws associated with that Roth IRA. We try to, so we really segment out that last bucket and we take a lot of risk. We have clients, as you know, who are in their 80s and sometimes they have a fourth bucket and the fourth bucket is 100% stock and they're 80 years old. And the yeah. reason they do that is because that's going to their grandkids or that's going to their kids and they could care less what happens to that portfolio. They, they just want to see it grow. They just want to see it grow. Yeah. And so they can have a portion of their money very aggressive, but going back and segmenting out these buckets, like you said, those first couple of buckets for those first five to 10 years where we want to make sure we have ultimate control of cash flow and we monitor risk really closely so that when the paycheck goes away, um, you are sleeping very well at night and you're very comfortable. Yeah. Some clients use annuities in that aspect. We, tr we do have annuities that we sell sometimes. We're not big fans of annuities, but they are appropriate at times for certain clients. And if we yeah. do have an annuity, we have been generally trained academically that you don't turn those on till your late 70s. And it depends upon your wealth. And the reason you wait till your late 70s is because really you've run out of any risk opportunity for risk is should be off the table in your 70s if you really need that money yeah. and you need constancy of income. But otherwise, we don't use a lot of annuities. But sometimes buckets can use an annuity inside there. Um, real estate is a good one to add in. A lot of people like to look at cash flow capacity of, of not real estate in like a REIT, um, but real estate from hard assets where they, they're, they're comfortable having an apartment with a, a fourplex somewhere. That's their style. We, we try to help manage that style to make sure they're not too much an isolated risk. Yeah. But that's a way to create some security relative to buckets. Um, but that's one way that we do it on that physician that's retiring, realizing their, their portfolio is going to stop. My advice, if you're, if you're meeting with us or anybody, that the year before you retire, I think you should, meeting, you should meet at least three times that year. And the year that you actually retire, I think you should meet with your advisor every 90 days in my opinion, just to emotionally discuss how are you doing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like having a baby, but it really is. I mean, you <laughs> got it. The closer we got to having our four kids, you know, the closer you get to the due date, the more often we met with, with our OB. Yeah. And a lot of it was comfort, and a lot of it was obviously good health care. And I think it's the same as you're getting out of retirement or getting into retirement and going through it that first year. You really need someone to hold your hand and say, it's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Even if the same conversation the last 90 days is the same one in the future 90 days, yeah. it's still a good checkup to make sure you're doing it. So make sure you meet with an advisor in that situation. You know, And don't think you can do that one on yourself. Retirement income strategies is way harder than portfolio allocation when you're 30 years old. Absolutely. The tax ramifications of bad choices are easily made. Oh, yeah. Um, you can get slammed on taxes if you don't know all of the ins and outs of how to do that. Yeah. And it's not as easy as reading a blog. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Now, you've made some great points. I think, you know, I, I think the, the short answer is, you know, it's, you don't have to have an advisor to help you understand what's going on in the markets. I mean, you can do it on your own, but, but the problem is most people don't have the time, the interest, 
the emotional stamina. Yeah, the emotional stamina to to monitor it yeah. and be diligent about, you know, okay, I saw this headline come out last week. You know, is there any credibility to it still? Does it is that yeah. true? You know, we we look at this every day. Mm-hmm. That's our job. Yeah. Right? Most people look at it once a month, and if yeah. you're handpicking headlines once a month, it's gonna. Yeah. make you nervous. I, I can't imagine being an ER physician. Let me use my example. If I I would I would just melt down if I got a if I'm listening on a radio and I hear some crash patient is coming in and they have all the I don't even know how yeah. to use the words, but I would be a mess. But yeah. you guys are trained as an ER doc to be you know exactly what to do and maybe you're nervous, maybe you're not, but we don't see it and you go into work mode and you know how to manage a crisis exceptionally well. Yeah, that's our job financially. We manage financial crisis really well. Yeah. And to other people, you think just because I'm good at managing a patient coming in who's been in a serious car accident, I promise doesn't correlate over to I'm really good at managing my emotions around my money when the market is crashing. Yeah. They are not correlated very well. And you generally need someone to hold your hand through that experience and help you think wisely of the impact of making rash choices. Perfect example. Well, hopefully this gives our listeners um, some some guidelines or things to think about when when reading headline news. You know that ignore most of it. It's not all gospel (laughs) truth. Um, It's not all doctrine. Um, There's a lot of fluff out there. And uh, it takes a little bit of work to decipher and sift through it. Um, Companies make billions of dollars off of your emotions, emotional reactions to their headlines. Yeah. And don't be a victim of that. You know, I think, I th- if nothing else, they're good, good points to frame conversations about, you know, how am I allocated? Am I properly allocated? Um, but, yeah. But hopefully uh, people can take this and use it to speak with their advisors and um, we'd love to talk to anyone who has questions about headline news or their portfolio. And, and some, uh, you know, one other bit of counsel, um, when, you, when you feel headline risk, reach out to your advisor because your advisor might not know that you're feeling that. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, uh, they, they, just like when we feel sick and we call the doctor and we say, hey, I need to come in and see you. The doctor didn't know I was sick. He didn't reach out to me. Yeah. But if you're feeling sick, reach out to your advisor and schedule an appointment. A lot of times they'll say you should have reached out. A lot out of times, hey, yeah, why week. didn't you contact me? You know, I didn't get anything in the email from you. Yeah. Well, I didn't know you were experiencing risk. I'm sorry about that. I know it's my responsibility to help you when you are, but yeah. you need to let me know that you feel sick. And um, if you do that, you'll be a much smarter investor uh, and a, a wiser um, individual. Perfect. Well, Patrick, thank you. Um, Enjoy these conversations. These are fun. And uh, we'll do it again. I hope they're not too boring. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Chad.